This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. Do you have your Bibles with you? How many of you were here in yesterday's Sabbath afternoon seminar? Raise your hands. How many of you were not? Oh, Lord, have mercy upon your souls. Uh, okay. Um, you're totally welcome. Each will build up on the other. If you kind of get overwhelmed, then that's okay. Uh, just get the previous recording, and um, maybe it'll be a little bit more. Ta- little bit more ta- it'll be a little bit more. It'll make sense to you a little bit more. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Yes? Bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the message this morning. And we ask that you speak to our hearts. Father, help us to transcend the content, the speaker, the medium, the, the conference itself. But help us to have an experience with you. And Lord, may our eyes now be upon the heavenly sanctuary where your son does minister on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Seminar uh, is entitled, this is the second one in a series. Uh, the entire series is called A Revolution of Destiny, the Sanctuary Context. The second seminar is entitled Pentecostal Reflection in the Book of Acts. Uh, yesterday, uh, just from a really a popcorn style, what do you remember from yesterday? Really quick. Popcorn is not popping. Judah's lion. Reuben's the man. Dan has an eagle. Okay. Ephraim is the ox. Okay, if you don't understand that, then, then tough. Anyone else? White's purity. Red. Sacrifice. Blue. Law. Purple. Royalty. Okay, awesome. Anyone else? Got some, a lot of popcorn out of that one. Anyone else? Who is speaking... Oh, you are. I'm like, there's a voice coming from here, but I don't see a mouth that speaks. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The, yeah? Outer courtyard. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yes, 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 yes. We'll cover all those things, and you're reading your notes. But anyone else, what do you remember from, from yesterday? We appreciate that, sister. Anyone else? Four faces of Jesus. And those four faces are. Okay, those are the animals, but the. He's the king of kings, son of a uh, human being, divi- divine, and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Very good, very good. All right, um, some, if we're going to just continue on here, uh, we talked about spatial positioning yesterday, that the sanctuary is an eschatological timeline. Eschatology is the science or the study of last day events. Theologians like to put ology at the end of everything. Okay, so it's protology, it's the study of creation. If it's eschatology, it's the study of last things. It's the soteriology. Soteri means the study of salvation. Okay, then you have, I won't go to all this, it's not, it's boring. Um, so you have the timeline that we talked about. The courtyard is Christ on earth. The holy place is from 31 to 1844. The most holy place is 1844 to 2JC, and 2JC stands for? Then you have anthropological parallels. You have the mental, spiritual, and physical. You have the sociological diagram here. You have justification, sanctification, glorification. By the way, these are just big words. If, if they're just big words, then just let them be big words. Amen? But there's, there's a lot of meaning behind this. And we're not trying to dissect everything and try to put big words to it. We're trying to accurately look at what the ministry of Jesus Christ entails and what's going on. Does it make sense, everybody? 
Okay, so we're not trying to just put la 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 and add big words because we're we're we're, we're weird. And then you have uh, eschatological emphases. You have some groups within Christianity that are really focused and obsessed with one portion of the sanctuary. And I submit to you, as biblical Seventh-day Adventists, who are centered in Jesus, we are not to only look at Jesus in the, san- uh, in the courtyard, Jesus in the mo- a holy place, or the Jesus in the most holy place, but Jesus in the entire sanctuary. Amen? And I believe this is the, 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 the secret to balance. The secret is balance is not left and right mixing two of these things together, but it's looking at holistically the entire ministry of Jesus. Today we're looking at Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. There is, if there's one chapter in the Bible that would describe the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, it would be not John chapter 3. It would not be Isaiah chapter 53. It wouldn't be Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. It wouldn't be Genesis chapter 1. It wouldn't be anything from Exodus chapter 20 or even Revelation 14. It would actually be Leviticus chapter 23. I call this temporal positioning. The previous slide you see was spatial positioning. The spatial positioning helps you kind of see through a, a space diagram where Jesus actually is. In a temporal diagram, here you see what Jesus is doing in the calendar. In the what, everybody? In the calendar. Today's calendar is based on a Roman calendar, based on 10 months. And because there's these two dudes named Julius and Augustus, and like, dude, I want a, a month with my name on it. So we inserted a month called July, and the other one we call it and it's August, and so awesome that we don't have to go to school in those months. And we praise the Lord for, for Julius and Augustus. But that's based on the Roman calendar. It's based on paganism. And just because it's based on paganism, does that mean we should eschew it and do away with the calendar? No, it's just, let's just use it as a calendar, amen? Just, we don't have to like put vampire, or not vampire, garlic. And, and all. Okay, let's keep on moving to Leviticus chapter 23. There are two sets of festivals or, or feasts, depending on which, which uh, or, or East Coast or West Coast. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, you have the spring festivals. They're the main three. You have Passover. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Within the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have the Wave Sheaf Ceremony. And the Feast of Un- Unleavened Bread uh, was, the, uh, was very um, t- entailed with the, the Passover. And both um, had symbolized redemption. And forgiveness, regeneration, and cleansing. We're going to look at these a little bit more in depth. This is just an overview. The last spring festival was the Feast of First, of first Fruits, or otherwise known as Pentecost. Okay, thank you. Five-second delay. And we have, it's, it's empowering feeling. It's about the barley harvest. Then you have the fall festivals down here. The fall festivals, you have the first one, the trumpets, that denote repentance, preparation for judgment. You have the Day of Atonement, about cleansing and judgment. We're going to talk about that in seminars 4 and 5. Then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, about rejoicing and enjoying the harvest. This is the Jewish calendar. I went to a Jewish university for four years, and we kept this Jewish calendar in our academic calendar. Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, uh, and you have all these, uh, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they still keep this to this day. Today we're going to look at each of these a little bit more in-depthly. Look at the Passover from Exodus chapter 12. Passover was one day of emancipation commemorating the power of God. And as you all know, you should be familiar with the Passover. A lamb was slaughtered without blemish and no bones were what? No bones were broken. 
This is huge, because actually on the Passover day, here Nicodemus is standing, staring at, at Jesus on the cross, and he sees the blood pattern, the blood as applied to the doorpost and to the side lintels, and it's the same blood pattern as the Passover blood pattern. Then he remembers John the Baptist, who's, who's preaching in John chapter 1, says, Behold the what of what? He's like, man, this is the lamb, the blood pattern, and hmm, I wonder if his bones are going to be broken, and were his bones ever broken? They wanted to break his bones because crucifixion is death by suffocation. If your cavity, if your breathing cavity in your chest is suspended high above the air, you have no space to breathe. So you need to push up from your legs, and your legs are actually nailed to the cross. You've got to push up from your legs, take a breath of air, and because you're so tired, you sink back down. Because the, next, because the day after is a high Sabbath, meaning it's a festival day and a Sabbath put together, it's like, oh, this looks very, this is bad, bad decorations. Can you bring down the dying people off the cross? So what they do is they would break their legs so they can they push off the, their legs. No, they can't. So you die by suffocation. So here Nicodemus sees and he sees Jesus is not, his bones were not, were, were not broken. Then the, 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 the Roman centurion pierces his side and what comes out? Blood and total sanctuary imagery. Out in the courtyard, you have a fountain of blood and a fountain of water. Then, then the last words of Jesus were quoting from Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The last three words in that psalm is, it is done. Or in the English translation, it is Jesus was quoting scripture and he was actually memorizing, quoting, not memorizing, but quoting scripture and reciting while on the cross. And while, get this, while he's reciting it, it's actually happening to him in real time in vivo. They're making fun of him and the, and the, and the, and the psalm is about them making fun of him. And he's talking about the devils around him and this is happening in time as he's quoting it. The lamb was slaughtered and without blemish and no bones were broken. It's do- blood, blood posted on doorposts and lintel. You see here in John chapter 2, 5, 6, and 13, there are four Passovers recorded. Jesus kept four Passovers, which records the three and a half years that he was uh, in ministry after his baptism. John nineteen fourteen, Jesus died on the Passover. John nineteen thirty six, no bones were broken. We talked about that. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the bold part says, for even Christ... Let's put the is in the front there. Christ is our what? Passover. Amen? So all these things point to who? To Jesus. Now, if you don't get anything from today, get this. Yesterday, your address was all about Jesus. Amen? The colors that were in your house and your clothes were all about Jesus. Today, the calendar is all about? And later, we're going to talk about you know, the smell that you have. The Giorgio Armani or the Aqua de Joe or the Burberry that you spritzed on this morning, it should be all about Jesus. The taste in your mouth, the, the, the ingredients of the bread that you make should all be all, all about. This whole entire ecosystem is about. Amen? Yeah, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days of no yeast, symbolizing the what? The rush. Oh, yes, the rush. I was going to say the rash. That's not a rash. Symbolizing the rush. Why? Because they're, they're getting out of which country? Egypt. And they had a rush, and they can't wait for the, the bread to rise, so it's unleavened bread. Uh, it symbolized holiness and the removal of sin. They had to travel to the sanctuary to keep this feast. Okay? We actually talk about feast keepers a little bit. There's, there's a movement within Adventism and outside Adventism saying, hey, this is so awesome, let's actually keep these feasts. And there's a reason why we don't keep these feasts in the Adventist church. And I believe it's biblical. 
On the second day of this, on this uh, feast, there was a wave sheaf ceremony. This is the, the ceremony of the first fruits. Well, what happened is, in an agricultural society, they would actually take the first, the first, uh, the first, first fruits, the first harvest threshings off of their, 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 their harvest, and they'd have it in their hand, and the priest would take it, and he'd go into the sanctuary, and he'd wave it. Yes? Are you with me? And waving this, this was a symbol. This is the first fruits, meaning, Lord, this is the first. And this is the way they dedicated their firstborn, their first, uh, their first everything. And they said, just in our harvest, this is the first thing that came out, and we give this to you. And it's kind of like a down payment. Lord, if this is coming, there's also what? The rest of the harvest is coming soon afterwards also. Leviticus 23, verse 11, the Christ wave sheep was presented. In verse 14, this is the only Old Testament prophecy that alludes to Jesus' resurrection after three days. It's found in Leviticus chapter 3. This is the only prophecy you find that. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, every man in his own order, I'll ignore that part, Christ is the what? First fruits. Afterward, there are Christ at his coming. Pentecost was also known as this the, uh, the third spring festival also known as the harvest or the first fruits itself, brought into the first fruits into the sanctuary. Two loaves with leaven were presented before God. In the previous feast, it was without leaven, but this feast was with leaven. Yes? It's a memorial of the covenant between God and Israel in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them how many days? Forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, you have the forty days Christ is with the disciples, and the ten days that Christ is uh, uh, upstairs ascending, they're waiting here for him in Jerusalem. Forty plus ten is what? Fifty, and fifty in Latin is Pentecosta, which we get the word Pentecost today. Okay? Pentecost was a prophecy foretold in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later. You have in the fall... You have the first of the trumpets, uh, first, first of the feast, the feast of the trumpets, and he had the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn, and this was the, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, and this prepared for the Day of Atonement, calling people to repentance and to accept God's mercy. And to this day, many Jews still keep the Day of Atonement. I went to a Jewish college, and on the Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, there were all these Jews who were cleaning their house. And by cleaning, I'm not talking about taking a Swiffer and just going around the edges. They were going all out. They went to their bookcases, took all their books, and they're shaking all their books out to make sure there's no dust, because within the dust, there might be a piece of yeast in in their books. Then they took their entire bookcases out, and they're just just shaking and wiping it out and detoxifying. Then they took a Q-tip, and they went to the edge of, of where the walls met on the ceilings, and they went across to make sure there's no yeast going on. On this one day, they did not eat anything, and they did not even brush their teeth. I was like, whoa, bro, why are you not washing your teeth? And, well, washing your teeth, brushing your teeth. And they had to cover their mouth, and well, we're not brushing our teeth, because if we brush your teeth accidentally, we might um, drink some water, uh, 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 what is, uh, rinse our mouths. I need some water. Well, we have water, and actually some might go to the back of our mouths and might end our, feet, our fast. And the whole time, they're praying, and I was passing by them while they're praying. I was I to go to the bathroom in the dorm? And they had the entire Torah, the first five books of the, of the, of the, of the, 
of the of Moses of the, of the Old Testament. And it was like in super micro font and put within a leather belt. Super cool thing. And they wrapped it around their hands. And then they wrapped it around their chests. And they wrapped it around their heads. At the end piece, they had a box with the remaining of the, of the, of the Torah. And they were praying. And I was passing by them, and I saw the corner of my eye, this guy wrapped in leather. And I looked kind of like this weird, you know, I won't talk what it, what it, what it was. Anyway, I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, hold on, I'm praying. I'm like, okay. He's praying, and he's doing his Jewish prayers. I'm like, what is that? Oh, it's the Torah. The Bible says, the Torah says, keep the word in your hand and over your heart and over your mind. So they actually do that literally. And so they're doing this all day for the cleansing of their own sins. Now get this. Many of the Orthodox Jews today need to get rid of their sins, yes? What is the only way they can get rid of your sins? Okay, praise the Lord. That is the, that is the, the biblical New Testament. Uh, but, but in their view, is you need an animal that can wash away your sins, Yes? Now, there's only one place you can do this. Where is this place? The temple, which it should be where? In Jerusalem, on top, of the, on top of the mount, yeah? Right in that most holy place right now, what building is there? The Dome of the Rock. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Muslim uh, a building. Are, do you think the Jews are very happy? So about thousands of years, the sins of the Jews are just accumulating. Do you understand your, the, the view of, of atonement has political ramifications? Yes? Today, we believe from a manifestation of the, uh, of the truth given to by, by, by God, where, is, where should our eyes be today? On the earthly sanctuary or the heavenly sanctuary? And on, on lamb's blood from, from my lambs or from the true lamb of God? Okay. Now, this day was in preparation for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day where you remove sins from the sanctuary. We're going to talk about all these things. I'm giving you broad, broad, broad stuff. We're going to talk about, you know, skin cells and dirt and nastiness, and, 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 and you're, you're in for a treat. And it's about total cleansing here from Gen- uh, Revelation, uh, Leviticus 16, 16, 30, and 34. The cleansing uh, of the sanctuary is especially mentioned in what verse? Daniel eight fourteen. And the whole identity of our church is based on that one verse. You take that one verse out, we are, we're gone. Leviticus 16.30, For on that day shall the priest make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be cleansed from all your sins before the Lord. And we see this manifested in, in Revelation. This is, I think, Revelation 13, not Revelation 1. Revelation 13.4 and 5, where in Revelation 13 you have the uh, unholy Trinity versus the Trinity, and we're going to talk about all of these things. Okay, this is, I'm just, this is super awesome. But in Revelation, you have Revelation 13, the three frogs that go to the whole world. In Revelation 14, you have three angels that go to the whole world. So game, and the end game is this. How many of you want to be part of three frogs? Raise your hands. Or how many of you want to be part of three angels? Raise your hands. Okay. Now, by the way, are there literally three angels that are hopping along around the world? Okay, this is not Kermit the Frog Ministries, okay? These three frogs, all these things are contextualized for people who understand from Genesis to Jew. Okay? So when you're thinking of three frogs, where in the Old Testament are frogs mentioned? In the plagues. Okay? What is so distinct about the frogs? 
They come from the water, okay, and then they hop along. They're green. So it's the environmental movement is, is part of... No, okay. You see, if you don't understand the context... How many of you hear about the banana? Yeah? We need a banana experience with the frogs. Amen? Okay, so if you didn't get that, Lord have mercy upon you. The three frogs, the frogs are the last miracles by the, by the false prophets of Egypt that they could reproduce. This is Satan's last attempt to reproduce something that's of heaven's origin. And so instead of the Trinity, you have the unholy Trinity that goes to the whole world. And so God's response to this final counterfeit movement is the three angels movement. And guess who's part of the three angels movement? Okay. A lot of times we talk about, we are three angels, three angels. When I was a, a teenager, I did not know what the three angels were. I thought that was the logo of our church. And why does one have a trumpet? Why does one have a... You guys understand? There's this, this is profound. When you understand this, this, this you're going to like explode. Okay. Feast of Tabernacles. Well, we've got to go through this. And, and if you go through all six, this makes sense. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as booze, ingathering, or Sukkot, found in Deuteronomy 8.15. It uh, denoted protection and thanksgiving for the harvest. There's many sacrifices going on here. And in Zechariah 14.6... It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the what of what. Okay. Now, each of these six feasts, today in our calendar we have, what's the first holiday that goes on in January? Then what do you have after that? Okay, Martin Luther King, okay, what do you have after that? That's a, that's a, that's a, like, a, like, a ho- like a civil holiday, that's not like a... Holiday, holiday. Okay, that's like a Catholic holiday. That's not like a holiday, holiday. Okay, you have Easter. That's a holiday, friends. Okay, anyone else? Then? Fourth of July. That's an American uh, vacation time. Okay? okay? After that, what do you have? Memorial Day. That is, that is, that is. Okay, then you have Christmas. Okay, very good. You have Christmas. Okay, you have Christmas. I'm sure if, if you're of the Orthodox or the Catholic persuasions, you have other priests, uh, not priests, other saint dudes and, and all that stuff going on. But what happens is there is a, a calendar that denotes which part of the year that we're in. In the Jewish society, it was all based on agriculture. Based on what, everybody? And if you don't know the agricultural calendar, it's very difficult to find out what, where you are in, 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 in Revelation. You had the first three spring festivals... And associated with the three spring festivals was the early spring rains. The early what? The spring rains gave a lot. And if you know the desert culture, rain is super important. Amen? Yes? So it would rain a lot. The seeds would go in there and they're just they're doing their, their seed kind of thing. Then in the summer, you have a long period of drought where you have no rain. Yes? In this period of drought, in, 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 in Elijah's time, it was three and a half years. Revelation picks up on this and calls it 42 months, or 1,260 years, of where there's no rain. In the history of the Christian church, is there 1,260 years of darkness and drought and nothing happening? Then after this period, you have the fall three festivals, which denotes and, and, and all this stuff happening. And right before the last harvest, there's the last thing called the latter fall rains. And for the success of the harvest, 
it's dependent on how much rain comes right before the, the grains are, are, are um, yeah, harvested. Or what's, what's um, sickle, sickled? Is that a word, sickled? Harvested is the word. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So you have feasts. Now, there's um, some people who say we should keep these feasts. And, and I think this is awesome to keep feasts if, if it try to be Christ-centered. But that's also you've got to be Bible-based at the same time. Feasts are intimately associated with animal sacrifices. You could not keep the feast outside of the animal sacrifices. So a lot of people would say, well, Jesus is now my animal sacrifice. Okay. Second is, feasts could not be observed unless they were the sanctuary in Jerusalem. It's the only place where you could keep these feasts. You cannot keep these feasts at home on the privacy of your own home or your church. Um, feasts are tied with the harvest and the land of Israel. Uh, foreigners were not allowed to keep these feasts. You had to be an Israelite. Third, fourth, Israelite, uh, fe- oh, are restricted to Israelites. Fifth, feasts are different from the seventh-day Sabbath. Okay? You'll find this in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. And these feasts were what? Abolished at the cross. That does not mean that these feasts were evil and these feasts were Old Testament and they're old, but now Jesus is awesome. It's these feasts all pointed to someone who would fulfill all these things found in this calendar. Is that, if that makes sense, say amen. Okay? It's kind of like I just got married, praise the Lord, and my wife, let's say she had a picture of me. A picture of who? Me. And so I gave this picture of, and hey, this is, this is me. Uh, here you go. And she takes it. She's like, wow, this is the, the most handsome person I've ever seen in my life. And she's doting over this picture. And while I'm not around, is it okay for her to look at this picture? Completely fine. But let's say now I'm actually hanging out with her and we're married and, and we're together. But she continues to be obsessed over the what? And she says, well, this picture reminds me of you. I would say, that's great. But I'm here. Is it possible to worship the picture above what alludes to the real person than to the real person itself? Okay? So right now, and we praise the Lord for these feasts, but these feasts point to the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus right now is fulfilling these feasts in time right now in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay? Lastly, no, there's no lastly. That's the point of Hebrews. Um, if you want to know the point of Hebrews, we're not going to read the entire book because we don't have enough time. But there's one word that's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews. Every book, get this, write this down if you guys are, are nerds, okay? Every, or if you're not nerds, write it down anyway. It, every book has one word that's repeated over and over and over and over again. That word that's repeated over and over again is the theme of that book, amen? This morning's sermon uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Pastor uh, Wes. Wes. Oh, man, he's, oh, man, he's a good friend of mine. Anyway, he preached on the book of Acts. One word that's repeated over and over in the book of Acts is the word? Word. Amen? Yesterday, we covered the ox, the eagle, the, the, the man, and the lion. In the book, you remember this? In the book of Matthew, what word is repeated over and over again? King. Book of Mark, what's, what's repeated over and over? No. Immediately. Okay, book of Luke, son of man, book of John, book of John, believe, believe, yes, believe, 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 okay, the book of Acts, the book is the word, is the word, word, the book of Romans, 
It's a trick question. Each chapter has its own word. It's a very difficult book. Okay? Now, in the book of Hebrews, there's one word that's repeated over, and it's the main theme of Hebrews, and that word is the word better. Now, without actually reading the verses, who is better? Christ, Jesus, is better than all the Old Testament stuff, and that's the main point of Hebrews. 7.22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a what testament? Better testament. 8.6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. The word more is also another one. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. 9.23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things of the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. uh, 9.24, uh, Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, but, but which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, which is better. 9.28, Christ was also once offered to bear the sins of many. His, his uh, sacrifice was better. 11.40, God having provided some better thing for us. 12.24, Christ the mediator of a new covenant to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than of Abel. Okay? Jesus is better. Here we see a calendar. You have the spring planting going on early on. You have the early spring rains, then you have the summer drought, you have the latter rains, and you have the fall harvest. Everyone with me so far? Okay. The springtime, the first half, is the early church. It's Jesus's, what Jesus is doing or what he did before the, the Middle Ages. His early spring, early ministry, the early church. The last three are what Jesus is doing right now, or what's happening on in the latter church. Not that we're Latter-day Saints, amen, everybody? But what the Latter-day Church, Latter, Latter Days. The agricultural calendar was an was a allusion to the ministry of Christ. So here is what happens, and this is what's so amazing. I love this. John, the first book of John, not the first letter of John, the first book of John is about Jesus on earth, yes? Then in the second book of John, which is the book what? Revelation, okay? It's talking about what happens when Jesus is in, in heaven. Yesterday we talked about the items of the furniture, uh, items of the furniture items in the, in the sanctuary. You have in the outer courtyard, you have the uh, altar of sacrifice, the cleansing labor. In the holy place, you have the candlestick, you have the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and the most holy place, you have uh, the Ark of the Covenant. In some ways, think of it as God's house. God's what? In the outer court, in the front yard, you got a barbecue grill and a kiddie pool. Yes? Inside the house, you have a humongous chandelier, a dining table, and the largest air freshener you've ever seen in your life. Yes? And then in the most holy place, you have the inner bedroom. Okay? How many of you, your inner bedroom is the most holy place in in, in your house? When you have guests over, you don't want people to go into your... Your, your bedroom is always messy, right? Because you're like, this is the most holy place. And, and you put the veil down. <laughs> no one shall enter. <laughs> and all, but the rest of the house is clean, but your most holy place isn't. When Jesus, in John chapter 1, the first thing that you see are candlesticks. Immediately, you know which part of the sanctuary are you in. You're in the holy place. Does it make sense? If you don't know the sanctuary, you are, have no context of bananas whatsoever. 
Now, Luke, the first book of Luke, talks about Jesus on this earth. The second book of Luke is talking about, which is Acts, is talking about what happens here on earth in respect to what Jesus is doing in heaven. Amen? And what happens is, and this is the whole point, whatever Jesus does on heaven has repercussions here on, on earth. We're going to talk about this. Uh, I, am, I put Matthew here just because someone asked one time and I felt bad for Matthew. Matthew is not pointing to, to the future. He's pointing to the past. He's trying to link back with the Old Testament. And in Mark, he's, he's just hanging out there. Okay. All right, Acts Revolution 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, we've read this many times this week already, so I'm not going to read this. Okay. But verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the what? And a lot of people think, and this is, I, I love this. A lot of people think Pentecost is the day when the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit has been with us in other periods in earth's history. Yes? In the Old Testament, wasn't the Holy Spirit around then? So then what was so big about the day of Pentecost? Now a lot of Pentecostals will say, well, that's the way, and they do all this, you know, the hands go up and they start speaking in, in, in blah, blah, blah. By the way, you guys all know that tongues is not blah, 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 blah. Right, yeah. Tongues is an intelligible language. And today, in some mission stories that I've heard, the gift of tongues is still given today. There are people, there are Americans, because Americans can't speak any other language outside of English. <laughs> Americans will go down to South America into the jungles of Colombia. And there are, there are records of a pastor who, who they got pulled over by gorilla, not gorilla, gorilla, but gorilla, gorilla, okay? Uh, gorilla agents. And they're going to kill him and the entire bus of, the, of, of church members. And then, you know the old, old buses where you put the windows, you have to put your fingers down, and it comes down, you know those windows I'm talking about? So all the church members are like, man, we're going to die, and our pastor's going to have this. So they roll down their windows, and they're going to kill him execution style. But all of a sudden, out of his mouth comes perfect Spanish. And not even perfect Spanish grammatically, but perfect Spanish, Colombian-accented uh, 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 Spanish. And he's, and he's like saying, hey, we're just da-da-da-da-da, we're doing this, and we're da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And the guy's like, oh, I misunderstood. Why don't you go back on your, your, your bus and go? The guy gets back on, the pastor gets back on his bus, and all the, pa- the ki- people are like, pastor, where did you learn Spanish? And he's like, I never spoke Spanish. I was speaking English. No, we all heard. And even the, the Span- Hispanic speakers were like, with even a Colombian accent. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit can even give you the accent. Amen, friends? Pentecostals will take these tongues and morph it into an unintelligible uttering, which of MRI recordings have shown this is not linguistic whatsoever. And everyone concedes that these false tongues have a supernatural origin. If the supernatural origin is not biblical, where is the origin of these unnatural tongues come from? Chapter 2, verse 5, there are dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, development. Verse 6, get this. Verse 6, it's all from the Bible. Because every man heard them speak in his own. Verse 11, Cretes, Arabians, we do hear them speak our own what? Tongues, which is own what? Languages. And you see all the languages. You have nine, Parthian, Menia, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygian, Pamphylia, where they make pamphlets, I guess, I don't know, Egypt and the parts of Libya, Cyrene, and the strangers of Europe and Jews. And all these are hearing in their own language. Wouldn't it be awesome if I was speaking to you in Korean and you would all hear it in your own language? Amen? Now, the gift of tongues was given to undo 
the effects of the Tower of Babel. If you do a deep study of Babel and, and Acts 2, there's undoing going on. Okay, that, that was tongues. That was, that was... Okay. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, We want to know what meaneth this? Verse 13. And other mocking said, These men are full of new what? And Peter said, standing up with eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto him, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing as about the third hour of the day. The third hour, the first hour started at six o'clock. The third hour would be what time? It's nine o'clock. No one drinks alcohol at nine in the morning. Not back then. <laughs> Thank you, sister. Thank you. And you shouldn't at all. <laughs> Okay, verse 16. Now this, is, now, this is Peter's sermon, okay? Peter's first sermon is very indicative of what's going on right at, at this moment in time. And Paul, Peter's sermon, the majority of it, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Which Testament? And he says this. He's doing a Bible study, really. He's, he's preaching on the Word of God, verse 16. But this is what that was spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. is quoting from Joel 2, 28, 29. That's talking about an overabundance of the Holy Spirit coming down. Meaning, this is not the first debut of the Holy Spirit, but this is the first overwhelming amount of the Holy Spirit coming upon human beings. Amen? Next slide. Yeah, I love this. You get the boldness going on? <clears throat> I chose some verses, and here Peter is very bold. He says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among, by, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of who? You. Now, this you is plural, meaning all the yous. As you yourselves also know. You know this. Verse 23, You have taken him, and you have crucified him and slain. Verse 36, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Is Peter bold? And here he's sticking out his finger. He's like, it's you. You saw him and you did it. Whoa. Verse 24, what's he trying to say? Whom God has what? Raised up. He's resurrected. Now what Peter is doing, and what we need to disabuse our minds of is this. He's preaching on Pentecost and on the resurrection prophecy of Leviticus 23. Verse 30, he would raise up Christ. Verse 31, his soul was not left in hell. H-E double hockey stick is not a fiery place in the basement. It is the grave. Amen, everybody? Verse 32, this Jesus has God raised up. Verse 25, he quotes from Isaiah, uh, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. For David spake concerning him. He quotes from the psalm. Then he says, the right hand of God. He is on the right hand. Verse 30, Christ to sit on his throne. 33, being on the right hand of God. Verse 34, thou sit on my right hand. This is not David, because David is what and what? In verse 29, dead and buried. But Christ is what? Ascended in heaven. Verse 34, David is not ascended into heaven. The Bible says that. Psalms 110, verse 1. Here, David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And he's saying, this verse is confusing. Who is the Lord, and who is he saying Lord to? And he's saying, this Lord is Jesus. What's the response? Verse 37, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the what of the who what? The gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto what? You. Meaning, you crucified him, you put him, but this gift is ultimately for you. 
Amen? Verse 40. And with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from the untoward generation. Verse 41. Then they gladly received his word. We read this this morning. Were baptized. The same day there were added about them 3,000 souls. And they all ate and shared money. And they were happy together. And they're not hippies. Okay? And the time of Pentecost is this. Number one, Jesus dies. Jesus what? Then, Jesus resurrects and he ascends to the Father as the wave sheaf. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus is around. And when he resurrects, there's a girl there. What's her, what's her name? And in the King James, it says, she, uh, Jesus says, do not touch me. And it makes Jesus kind of seem prissy, yes? Ew, don't touch me. That's not what Jesus is saying. Mary Magdalene is so enamored that Jesus has resurrected that she's clinging on to him and she won't let him go. And Jesus says, hey, don't touch me. You've got to let me go. But also, I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Yes? So that night, he ascends to the Father, he goes to heaven, and he presents himself as the wave sheaf. On that same day, on earth, they were priests, they were Jewish priests, who are actually doing a real wave sheaf in the sanctuary. That same time, Jesus is in the heavenly sanctuary, presenting who? Himself, saying, Lord, I am the first fruits, I am the wave sheaf. Then Jesus descends in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 22. Then he says to his son, hey, now touch me. Touch my side. Meaning, from the time he says to Mary, don't touch me, to the time where he says, now touch me, what has he done? He's gone to the Father, he's seen him, and now he's back down. Amen? He spends 40 days with the disciples, Acts chapter 1, 3. Then Jesus ascends and presents the other resurrected to the Father. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 50. I know it says 52, but just do 50. Okay? Chapter 50. The Bible says, Jesus, when he cried up again, cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Excuse me. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Very, very insightful here that it's not bottom to top, but from top to bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many who? Bodies of the who? Saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Here, when Jesus died, there were people who were resurrected Now, I'll tell you this. Do not engage in a study to find out who these people were. Because the Bible does not record who these people are. Amen? Here, Jesus goes up, and this is fulfilling Pentecost. He goes up to the Father, and along with him are now other human beings. And we have a record that in in Revelation chapter 4, there are 24 elders 24 human beings, and he brings them up. And in, in, in Leviticus 23, there were two loaves made with leaven, meaning they were, they were formerly sinners. And he brings them up and he says, Lord, this is now the wave loaves. I am the wave sheaf, but here are the wave loaves. And if these guys are the first harvest, guess what's going to happen at the fall festival at the big harvest? Do you understand? At the harvest, there's only always two things. 
The first thing was the barley. Barley was the first thing that came out. Wheat is the last thing that comes out. When these guys came into heaven, it was known as the barley harvest. And, the, and Jesus said, hey, Lord, Father, here's the barley. But if you have the barley, it's pointing to for, forward into the future that if we have a lot of barley, for sure we will have also a lot of... And in Revelation, when Jesus comes, it's referred to as the wheat harvest. And who's part of the wheat harvest? All of us. Jesus becomes king of the universe on Pentecost and sits on the right hand of God. That right hand of God is not a directional place. It's not like, wait, so is that like stage right or like audience right? So is it like if I'm facing him on the right hand side or if I'm him on the right hand side? It doesn't matter. The right hand side was a position of righteousness and a position of power. It's kind of like saying like, hey, he's the head chair of the biology department. When I was little, I actually thought it was an actual chair that the professor sat on. Okay. Wow, he sits on the chair. He has no chair. Well, in Princeton, you have real chairs. But in other places, there are no chairs. It just means you're in a position of power, of authority, of, of, of respect. Jesus becomes king of the universe on Pentecost and sits on the right hand of God. And this, is, this, is the, this is the amazing thing about Pentecost. Eleven disciples are sitting in the upper room. Their Lord and Master just ascended to heaven. And they're worried. Why are they worried? Uh... The Jesus that we knew, like, he, like, started arising, and he went up into the sky, and we don't, we haven't seen him anymore, and we're looking up there, and all of a sudden, these two dudes say, why are you looking up in the sky? <laughs> and we're, like, worried. And they're worried, they're worried, they're worried, they're worried. And so while they're worried, they go up to the upper room, and they're praying, and they're becoming of one mind, one heart, they're confessing sins, and like, hey, Peter, I'm sorry I called you a loud mouth, like, sometimes you do have a loud mouth but I just appreciate your loud mouth because you're just, you're bold, man. You're bold. And hey, Philip, uh, I'm sorry I called you dumb, but sometimes you have some dumb comments, but man, your simplicity, I need your simplicity, man, simplicity. And John, I hate your tamper tantrum. Like I gave you that cookie and you wanted an oatmeal cookie and you, you punched me in the face. I'm, uh, you know, I was so mad at you for like nine years. Uh, I'm so, and they're confessing each other for 10 days. And finally, when they become a one heart, one mind, and they want to, I'm wondering, Hey, it's, about, it's been about 10 days. Yeah, it's, it's actually Pentecost today. What does the Old Testament prophecy say about Pentecost? Pentecost was a day where, they, where Jesus became not only king of the world, but king of the universe. And he was inaugurated as the king of the entire cosmos. And the first act as Jesus, king of the universe, he sends an email back to his friends downstairs. Yes? He gets on heavenmail.com, puts in Jesus, and puts in his password, Jesus. And he puts in 11 names, and he forwards it, and he puts an attachment to this email. And guess who this attachment was? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down, fulfilling Joel chapter 2, verse 28, 29. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, it's manifested through the gift of tongues. That's when they all like, dude, we got it. Jesus made it safe, okay. And he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. If he's king of the universe, then if I die, he'll just resurrect me again. So let's just all go all out. So they stand up and they're preaching like crazy. 
Our confidence does not come from the Holy Spirit. It does come from the Holy Spirit. But it's not this Pentecostal event. It comes from our eyes being on the Lord Jesus on the throne of God. Amen? Get this. Desire of ages is, is powerful. Okay? Do you promise not to zone out, everybody? Amen? Okay, back guys, you, amen? <laughs> the front's like, amen. Back guys, amen. We, 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 what? Okay. 785, Desire of Ages. Christ arose from the dead as the first fruits of those that slept. He was the antitype of the what? Wave sheaf. That's, well, the wave sheaf is the, the, the sheaf that they wave. Okay? Is they waving it? Sheaf? I don't know what sheaf is. Okay. And his resurrection took place on the very day when the wave sheaf was to be presented before the Lord. So Christ, the first fruits, represented the great spiritual harvest to be gathered for the kingdom of God. His resurrection is the type and the pledge of the resurrection of all the righteous dead. As Christ arose, he brought from the grave a multitude of who? Captives or sinners or the resurrected there. The earthquake at his death had rent open their graves, and when he arose, they came forth with him. Excuse me. They were, th- they were those who had been co-laborers with God and who at the cost of their lives had borne testimony to the truth. Now they were to be witnesses for him who had raised them from the dead. All heaven was, welco- was waiting to welcome the Savior to celestial courts. He, as he ascended, he led the way and the multitude of captives set free at his resurrection followed. Can you just imagine these 24 guys? The heavenly host with shouts and acclamations of praise and celestial song attendant to joyous train. This is like the football games of all football games, yeah? Here there is a throne and around the rainbow of promise. There are cherubim and seraphim. By the way, there are two types of angels, yes? And maybe there's more, I don't know, but the Bible records only two. The commanders of the angel host, the sons of God, and the representatives of the unfallen worlds are assembled. This is the united, not the united, this is the united universe. The UU is here, everybody. The heavenly council before which Lucifer had accused God and his son, the representatives of those sinless realms over which Satan had thought to establish his dominion, all are there to welcome the Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate his triumph and to glorify their king. Just imagine, pom-poms and, 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 and those little sparkly things that are really annoying to clean up and like little angels with number one figures going on. Jesus, you know, you the man. Everyone is waiting for Jesus to be crowned the king of the universe. But what happens? But he weighs them back. Not yet. He cannot now receive the coronet of glory and the royal robe. He enters into the presence of the Father and he points to his wounded head, his pierced side, his marred feet. He lifts his hands bearing the print of nails. He points to the tokens of his triumph and he presents to God the who? The wave sheaf. Those raised with him as representatives of the great multitude who shall come forth from the grave at a second coming. He approaches the Father with whom there is joy over one sinner who repents, who rejoices over one with singing. Before the foundations of the world, uh, the earth were laid, the Father and the Son had united in a covenant to redeem man if he should be overcome by Satan. They had clasped their hands in a solemn pledge that Christ should become the surety for the human race. This pledge Christ has fulfilled. The disciples had no longer had any distrust of the they're like, man, Roman, Roman emperor, whatever. Jesus is the emperor of the universe. Huh. I mean, they were more Christ-like than that. Anyway, they knew that Jesus was in heaven and that his sympathies were with them still. They knew that they had a friend at the throne of God. And they were eager to present their requests 
to the Father in the name of Jesus. Pentecost brought them fullness of joy in the presence of the Comforter, even as Christ has promised. His first presidential act was to pour the Holy Spirit upon the universe. That's Justin Kim. That's not Spirit of Prophecy. Spirit of Prophecy says here in, in uh, AA. What's AA? Not the, I was going to say Alcoholics Anonymous. Acts of the Apostles, page 38 and 39. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich currents, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was mission accomplished. According to his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he had, as priest and as king, received all authority in heaven and on earth, and was the anointed one over his people. Amen. There should have been a loud amen in there. These three things are going on at Jesus' ministry, early ministry, when he was here for the first time. You have a summer drought of 1,260 years. Then you have three more festivals at the end. And these describe what's happening towards the latter days. Today, are you fully convinced that Jesus is in heaven now? Now. That means if you believe that Jesus is in heaven now, doing something now, that changes the way you are now. Amen. We're going to look at the full ramifications. We looked at the, uh, the, the calendar really quickly. But we're going to look at the full ramifications of what Jesus did in the holy place. Yes? You ever ask yourself, what did he do for those 1,000 years, 1,000 plus years in between? And what he's doing after 8 and 4 in the most holy place. What is he doing up there? Does it doesn't get claustrophobic up there. What, what's, what's he doing? And when he finishes, guess what happens? After the most holy place, is there a little doggy door that goes into another room after that? It's, an, it's a wall. There's only one way back out. And when he comes back out, all those who have faith and trust in their high priest are waiting for the high priest to come out. In the Old Testament days, sometimes the priest never came out. Because he didn't atone for some of his sins, the dude just plopped on the middle of the floor. So in order, and, and, and because of the holiness of God, they would have to have bells around his robe. And there'd be ding-ling, 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 ding as, as long as there's ding-ling, ding-ling going on, the dude was alive. But if there's a ding-ling, ding Oh, no. Not again. Get the dude's son. <laughs> And they couldn't go in to get his body out. So around his leg there was a rope and they'd have to pull him out. Hebrews says we have a better high priest who is not touched with sin. And we know if he's going in, for sure we know he's coming out. Do you want to be a people that's waiting for your high priest to come out? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven. Lord, we, 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 we revel and, and we, we are wowed by all the authorities on this earth. We are enamored with power and, and presidents and nations, politics, the push of the nations. Lord, we are wowed by this. But 
Lord, what the disciples saw was you on the throne. And this vision totally superseded any, any human understanding that they had. Father, I ask for myself and for every person who can hear my, hear my voice, overshadow our thinking here today. And not just only our thinking, but may have ramifications in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, grant us boldness, confidence, and courage, not just to be bold and outgoing for outgoing's sake, but Lord, to fulfill the mission that you have given to us. Lord, save us so that we may save this world as well. This we pray in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.